Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hey, friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Today's show is brought to you by Rattlesnake Ranch Pecans. Rattlesnake Ranch Pecans can help take the stress out of holiday shopping with products that are sure to delight the taste buds of anyone on your list, like their best-selling gift tins of gourmet assorted candied pecan flavors, including chocolate toffee, honey toasted, and Cajun roasted. You guys, we got a tin of roasted pecans Before we went on our trip to Mexico, we packed them all in baggies, we took them on, and we devoured them on the beach. They were so, so very good. Go to rattlesnakeranchpecans.com and get 15% off your entire purchase with the code HAPPYHOUR at checkout. Friends, welcome to episode number 274. Also, happy Advent. What a season where we pause, where we slow down, where we look forward to the birth of our Savior, Jesus. I hope that as you go into the season of Advent and Christmas and holidays, that you take a moment to pause and to think and to reflect and be with your friends. I want to tell you that our guest today is Elizabeth Jordan, and she's the founder of The Human Impact, which is a nonprofit ministry that serves the homeless in Dallas. She grew up in the church, attending youth group and Bible studies, went on mission trips, and was crowned homecoming queen at Highland Park High School. She was one of those girls you just knew big things were going to happen to, and they did. The faster Elizabeth ran toward the goal she felt she was supposed to attain, the further away from God and from her center she found herself. In her late 20s, everything began to fall apart, and we're going to talk about that today. You're going to hear about her faith and her marriage and her friendships and her career, and it was at that moment that she decided to ask God what He wanted her to do with her gifts and her life, and she promised she would follow wherever He led her. God invited her to serve the poor of Dallas, specifically the homeless who gather in an area just eight miles from the boxwood lined houses of the streets where she grew up. A 15 minute drive down to South Dallas is an area Elizabeth spent most of her life avoiding and now it is the place she feels most at home. I loved my conversation with Elizabeth. I'm telling you, I loved it, loved it, loved it. She basically walks us through her story of how God took her from the wealthy side of Dallas to creating this nonprofit that works alongside the homeless community who are her friends. We talked about the false narratives that she had. We talked about her prayer. Friends, I invite you to just listen in and sit and see the things that Elizabeth is doing and see how she's just a regular, normal girl who's seeking out what God wants her to do, and she's changing the world through just following His guidance. Okay, I need to ask, did you listen to the holiday gift guide? If you haven't, I highly suggest you listen to it. My friend, Ruth Jo Simons, who you guys love her. She's been on the show before. She was a guest at my last Happy Hour Live. She joined me and we sat and we chatted about 13 different organizations. Organizations that are either ran by women, they are either small business, they are ethically made, or they have a give back model. I encourage you to listen. There are discounts that are available just for you listeners, and it's a great way to get all of your shopping done. But I wanna take a moment to share with you about one special gift idea that we shared on the guide. Compassion International is an organization that is close to our hearts in the Ivy House. We sponsor Brian in Kenya and Wansley in Haiti. 
Even during the taping of our holiday gift guide show, my oldest son, Caden, I let him stay home and hang out with us. Well, because he was operating the camera. So I felt like it was like a school work trip. (laughs) He asked me, he said, could we add another sponsorship to our family? The children that are in the survival program, this is a new part of Compassion's work. And their whole job here is to advocate for children and provide for them in all of their needs and help them to be released from poverty. 2.5 million babies and toddlers born into poverty die each year. And more than 300,000 women die from pregnancy or childbirth complications. So when you are a part of the survival program and when you are sponsoring a child that's a part of this program, you're giving at a critical time in the life of that baby and that mother. Compassion International saw this problem with all of the babies and toddlers that were dying and they thought of how they could help. One of the things I told Caden, my son, is that yes, I love the idea that as a family, My husband and I could gift our children with a sponsorship and we can invite them into the journey of giving to Compassion International so that they can release children from poverty in the name of Jesus. And I invite you to do the same this year, to sponsor a survival program mom and infant through Compassion as a gift to your family, to your husband, to your children, to your parents, to a child's teacher, or like my own family, you can do it together as a family. One of the things I want to say real quick is I have heard a lot of people who have said to me, how do I know if I can trust compassion? And all I can say to you is I have been on the ground. I have traveled to Kenya with my son, Deacon. I'll actually put a picture of us on Instagram. So head on over there in the next couple of days and I'll let you see it. I've traveled to Kenya with my son, Deacon. We met Brian. We saw the program he's in. We saw the church that he goes to. We saw the leaderships, which were all Kenyan locals. I've been to Haiti and visited Wansley that we also sponsor there. And I've seen the program that they do. One of my favorite things about Compassion is that they do things through the local church. And so I'm just saying, I've seen it. I believe in Compassion and they are a company that you can trust. You can text happy hour to 83393. That's 83393, text the word happy hour with no space or visit compassion.com slash happy hour for more information on sponsorship. For all of you guys that sponsor a child through the happy hours link, you're going to receive an ornament gift, which is exclusive to my listeners. And it is from Grace Lace, which is the beautiful company that Ruth Simons runs. It's hand painted and it says Emmanuel on it. So it is a tangible reminder of the gift that God gave us with Christ and now how we can be a gift for others. So visit compassion.com slash happy hour or text happy hour, all one word to 83393. All right, you guys, here is my conversation with my friend Elizabeth on this first week of December. Elizabeth. Hi, Jamie. Hi, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I do need to say that we will put a picture up of us Mm -hmm. on Instagram today when the show goes up. And everyone needs to know that you have on your burnt orange because tomorrow's the first Texas football game. I'm representing. You're representing. Um, You're not, you didn't go to Texas though, right? I didn't go to Texas, but my sister, brother-in-law, and brother went to Texas, and grandparents too. And you went where? I went to Wake Forest. You're like the little, like, we're, I'm going to head on out of here. and I know. Well, my other sister went to Washington and Lee. So two of us went East Coast, which is where my mom is from, and two of us stayed in Texas, which is where my dad is from. I like this. I know. You have two kids. They're, you're not there yet because they're, what, four and eight months or something like that. Yeah. Um, I My oldest is a 15-year-old. And so we talk about college right now. Can you even imagine? No, I can't. And where did, boy or girl? Oldest is a boy. And where does he want to go? Film school, which is either mostly West Coast. Mm-hmm. LA. Mm-hmm. 
I'm like, okay, I can do that. <laughs> Handful of East Coast. What about Austin? Does Austin have film school yet? It doesn't really. I mean, I'm sure there's something here, but I mean, if you're going to go to like the best of the best, mm-hmm. you're heading out all west. He wants. I know, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, anyhow, it's just crazy to think about school and college and anyhow. Well, welcome to Austin, Texas. Thank you. And welcome to the happy hour. I'm so excited. Introduce yourself. Just tell us about your family, where you live, and we'll go from there. Sure. I'm Elizabeth. Jordan. I live in Dallas, Texas, born and raised there. Dallas, Dallas proper? Dallas proper. The real Dallas. The real Dallas. Yes. Not Frisco or Plano or any of the other (laughs) great places people are from. You guys don't like it when people are from there and they say they're from Dallas. Yes. But now I understand it because my husband is actually from South Haven, Mississippi, but he says he's from Memphis. Because oh, no one easier. knows it's South so Haven, Mississippi. Easier, yeah. So I get it now. You'd be like, I'm from the Dallas area. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But you're Dallas proper. I'm true Dallas. And uh, I have a wonderful husband of 10 and a half years named Austin, mm-hmm. of all things. Of all things. And I have two kiddos, one son who just turned four and a daughter who's eight months. Well, eight months and two days wow. on the first. So your hands are full with the mothering. I know. I, they are really full. And it's really fun. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, I won't get too grandma on you, but it goes in the flash. So just be ready. I, I can already tell because I was looking back at pictures of my son when he was two the other day and I was like getting the tears. And I was just thinking what happens when he's 15 and we're talking about college and I'm like my baby. It's too much. Let me tell you the story real quick, Elizabeth. Um, my husband and I both travel separately and Aaron was out of town this week, actually, that we're recording this. And uh, my son, who's 15, who often goes to bed after me, let me just tell you, I know that that <laughs> you can't even fathom that. I'm in bed. He comes up at bed. I mean, it's like but how early do you go I mean, to bed? I don't go to bed that early, but this night I was tired. I'm in bed at 945. He comes and I had already fallen asleep. He comes. He's like, good night, mom. And I was so sleepy. And then like this foggy haze. I said, will you sleep with me? Which. <laughs> It's our kids have always when dad's out of town, they like take turns like Mm -hmm. whose night is it to sleep with mom? We'll watch Mm -hmm. TV, whatever. But now that he's 15, he's not really into playing that game anymore. Mm -hmm. Like he's like, "Mm, I like sleeping in my own bed, mom. Thanks. (laughs) But I said, will you sleep with me? And he goes, "Okay, I guess. (laughs) And then he got into bed, Elizabeth. And I don't know why. I think I was having these weird dreams, too. Like I remember waking up in the morning thinking I had like a scary dream. But I did this to him. I said, will you hold my hand? Because of your scary dreams? I think so. I like vaguely remember all this. And my son was like, okay. (laughs) And he did. But there we go. That's, you know, that's what you have to look forward to. Exactly. 15 year old son. Still good in bed at 15. Who will still take care of his mama when she's scared at night. Um, Well, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Um, I believe that a listener told us about you, which do you know? No. Okay. Well, I think a listener told us about you and they're like, hey, you need to look into Elizabeth. And they told us why. And we were like, I think Lindsay and I are both like, yes, we do. And then you had a conversation with Lindsay. And Lindsay's like, actually, I'll tell you this. Lindsay sent me a message after she got off the phone with you. And she's like, this is going to be a phenomenal interview. So wow, that's a lot of pressure. Thanks, Lindsay. That. <laughs> that's a lot of pressure on you. But you know, there we go. Um, I'm going to just spoil the ending here okay. uh, and say <sighs> that you have been working for the past six years um, with the homeless population in South Dallas. Yeah. So there's the ending. We know where this is going. Mm-hmm. But I want to go way back before this happens, before these six years. And I want to even talk about for you, I think you might say this, this would have never been a part of your plan um, based on where, how you grew up, the job you work in previously, just all of your life mm-hmm. factors. So take me all the way back. How did you grow up that this seems so out of the box even? 
Yeah, you're right. I mean, I just, I could never have imagined the life God has laid out before me. And growing up, I grew up in a really affluent neighborhood in Dallas called Highland Park. And I just tell you the name because I might talk about it at some point during the show. Um, But we just grew up with all of our needs met. And we were kind of in, we're called the bubble in Dallas. And you don't have to go very far to get anything you need. All of our friends are five minutes away. Uh, It's a safe place to grow up. It's a happy place to it's grow up. It's a beautiful up. neighborhood. It's a beautiful neighborhood. Yeah. Um, so much love from my family and friends and support. And, you know, a lot of opportunity. And as I've worked down in South Dallas, that's one of the things that I look back and I think the most on is so many doors were open to me. And it's not that I didn't work hard. I did. But also I had so many doors open to me and so many people willing to go to bat for me. And that's a very common narrative of people growing up in affluent areas. And just so I think you'll say this as well, I'll just say it just so the listeners don't wonder, there's nothing bad about how you grew up. It just sets the stage. So what's, I think, amazing, I think that there are incredible things about where I grew up and there are incredible things about South Dallas. And we can't villainize either group of people. We can't villainize either neighborhood. And a huge part of my work is saying that we need each other because we both have strengths and weaknesses. And so it really is in coming across this social, racial, cultural gap that we really grow stronger and heal. And we can heal some of those weak spots that we have. You know, that's good because I think what happens sometimes is the villainization that you just mentioned. That's a good way to talk about it because I think we sometimes don't know how to put words to that, Mm -hmm. but we see it. So you're, you grow up affluent or you are affluent. You still have money. Then you think I feel guilty or you grow up on the quote unquote wrong side, other side of the track. And then you're like, look at those people. They don't even know what they're spending their money. You know? And so we look at each other. And this is, I think, a tactic of Satan to keep us Uh. apart. Because as long as we have these narratives about each other, and so these narratives, these stereotypes are not founded in relationships. And so that's why our work that we do on the streets is all about bridging that gap through relationship. Because when you hear people's stories, those walls break down. It's so good. A lot of people who I've interviewed have talked to the same kind of language that you're using right now of just how proximity changes the nar- the false narratives that you have. Yes. And you can have these false narratives through media. You can have these false narratives through your upbringing. You can have these false narratives through one encounter that you've had. And then those narratives dictate how you think about every buddy or every person, or every people group, or every race or social class. But when you're in proximity with them... Mm-hmm those narratives, they can't stand Mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. If we're willing. So I think we have to be willing to set aside our judgment because it's so easy to go into a culture or community that's different from us and bring those stereotypes that we maybe don't even know that we have. And so I think we have to be willing to open our hands and set them aside and really listen. Okay, that's good. I want to know how you got to the open-handedness. So go back. Okay. (laughs) How did you get here? Because this is not a wildest dream that you would have ever imagined. This is not a wildest dream. In fact, for the first couple of years, I worked with homeless people. Sorry, homeless people. But I was like, I don't even really like homeless people. I'm not even sure why I'm doing this work. But the thing is, God loves homeless people. And God was changing my heart to love the people that he loves. And God loves marginalized people and people on the edges. And so it really isn't about them being homeless people anymore. It's about them just being people to me. That's good. But I'll back up to my story. So like we talked about, I grew up in a really affluent neighborhood. All my needs were met and then some. And I went to a great college. I got great jobs out of school. And I was kind of on this up and to the right path. 
And I had grown up in a Christian home, so I knew the Lord. Um, But I would say that my life was following this preset path that I had grown up thinking was the right way to do things. And that was get good grades, go to a good school, get good jobs, and then make money and make more and more money. And I had gotten married during this time, and I had always wanted to work in the entertainment business. And so my last job in the for-profit world was a music and entertainment job. And it was my absolute dream job. What were you doing? Artist development. Okay. So um, working with artists Mm -hmm. and it was wonderful. Who did you work for? uh, Not artists, but which were you with the music label? Yeah, but really small and probably not something that people would know. Would this be like an A&R person? It was like A&R. Okay. And it was local talent or Texas talent, but it was an incredible job. And I got to go to Nashville and LA and... I was living the high life. Like we would have these incredible dinners and, you know, they cost 500 or a thousand dollars just for three or four people. And I was just living this life that I never pictured living. And I was loving every minute of it. And you're married. I'm married. Okay. I've been married for a couple of years. We're living in Dallas and some stuff happened with this job. And I was driving to a country club on June 1st, 2012. And I got a call and they said, we are terminating your employment. Were those the words? Those were the words. It sounds so kind, right? It was terminating. Can we use a different, can we change Uh the language here? Yeah. So I never made it to the country club. Was it for a work event you were driving there for? No, it was just for fun. It was a Friday night and meeting some friends over there and called my husband and said, I've been fired and drove to my house and he met me there. And I was devastated for so many reasons. But one is like, I did not do fired, you know, like it wasn't something that I ever thought I would experience. And I maybe had too high of an opinion of myself. Like I thought I was above that. And that was God humbling me and saying like, you're just a person and things aren't always going to work out the way that you hope that they do. And so not only was I fired from my job, but my husband and I were in the hardest spot in our marriage that we've ever been in. So like if we we started up here and went down to this valley. And right now at this same time that I got fired, we're at the bottom of this valley. Mm. So the main relationship in my life with my spouse is broken and I've lost my dream job. And I was only 27, but I genuinely thought I have no idea what I want to do with my life anymore. I felt lost. You know, I felt desperate and I just kind of sat in that space for six months and tried to get up every day and did a little work on the side, but I had no purpose. And it was in this space of desperation and lostness (laughs) that I finally realized my plans for my life hadn't been working out for me. And so for the first time in my life, for the first time in my life ever, I asked God, what are your plans for my life? Mm. And then I told him, I said, Lord, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'll lay down my life for you if you'll just show me what it is that you have for me to do. And I prayed that prayer until he answered. And I would say that, like I said, I had grown up in a Christian home and I had believed in God my whole life, but this was a prayer of surrender. And I think for me, there's a big difference because up until then, I was just following my path or the path I thought I should follow. And I had never stopped to ask God his path for me. And he made me. So I think he knows better than me what the best path is. 
If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. I think it's so interesting as you're telling your story. I'm thinking, okay, yours is involving marriage and a lost job and you're at the bottom of this valley, but everyone listening could just fill in the blank for what they've gone through. Like we've all, if you're breathing and you're alive, well, if you're breathing, you're alive, whatever. (laughs) I don't know why I just said that, but if you're listening to this, you have experienced something like this, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's different. Uh, It might feel different. It might be in different seasons. You might be 60 or you might be 15 or whatever. I just find it so interesting. I've never heard anyone say the way you said it of, I had never asked God when he wanted for my life. Mm -hmm. Now I think about my kids Mm -hmm. 
who, I mean, we're not like money's not growing on trees around here, but I mean, my kids like they need a new calculator for school. We go buy them a new calculator. You know what I mean? Like they need new shoes. We can, we can go buy them new shoes. And I wonder how as parents, I'm having this kind of aha moment over here. I'm wondering as parents is how do we instill in our kids about asking God what is next for my mm-hmm. life? And I love that you're saying that because it's making me even think as a mama and how we talked about my son's going to be starting college soon. Well, not soon, three years, Jamie, but uh, <laughs> just even kind of instilling that in our children because you had this kind of come to Jesus moment yes. where you were forced to say, yes. Everything I've ever done, I've never asked you about. Never asked him about. And it really took, I think it took more than one thing being broken. Because you're having your marriage is at the bottom and you lost your dream job. Yes. Because otherwise I would have cobbled together like enough Elizabethness. Better word? You can make it your own okay. word. We make up words here. I would- <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I would have cobbled together enough of my own resolve to push forward. And so God graciously broke let enough things break at the same time that he also gave me the opportunity to pray this prayer mm. and to lean in to him. So you said it was about six months before you prayed the prayer. Oh, in yeah. those six months, are you just Elizabeth Nesson at all? <laughs> like, I can do this. I can figure this out. Or are you thinking, I have no idea what's happening, but you weren't willing yet to go to God? I was totally aimless. And I was in my pajamas until 11 every day. And I was twiddling my thumbs and drinking a lot of coffee. and talking to a few friends. And then I started reading some books and those books are what started to spark my imagination. And I was also working with a career coach who really impacted my journey. What books do you remember? Kisses from Katie. Uh And so I'm sure a lot of you know, but she's this young woman who didn't go to college and instead went to Uganda and adopted a lot of Ugandan orphans. But what I took from that book wasn't that I needed to go to Uganda and adopt orphans, but it was that she was running after Jesus with everything that she had and she was younger than me. And so I felt like God through her story kicked me in the butt and said, like, you're not too young. Mm -hmm. You're not too young to run hard after me. And then I read this book called The Heavenly Man, which is about Chinese brother Yoon. And growing up, I had only seen this kind of boxed in version of faith. And I was reading about the Chinese church and that God is the same God of the Bible, that miracles still happen. And so God was taking himself out of the box for me. And I realized that the God that works in China is the God that can work here, but I'm not desperate enough for him to work in that way. And in China, these stories that I'm reading, he's all that they have. And I have so much, I can make my way so easily that I'm not in the space of needing him. It is a scary space to be in. You've walked through it. I've been in it. Everyone listening has been in it. But I think when you get on the other side, just like your story is unfolding that you're telling us, you can look back and go, I had to be there Yes. in order for God to show, not for God to show up, but for me to kind of lay down and be willing. So you pray this prayer, God, I'll do whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever you want, Mm -hmm. which guys, if you pray that, I'm telling you, you just be ready. Hold on to your seatbelt. Hold on. <laughs> because you're, I have prayed that prayer a few times in my life. And it is like, I, you know, two months in, you want to be like, JK, like, <laughs> I'm going to go back to my jammies. Because <laughs> he answers that mm-hmm. prayer. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you pray this prayer. Mm-hmm. But I need to know, because I'm curious, because you mentioned your husband. Um how did this affect that valley that you were in with him? Because you get, and and you can fill in the blanks here, you get to six months and you pray this prayer. What does that look like between you and Austin? So that actually was the worst 
time. So I it was low in June when I got fired, but it got worse. And so this is just total transparency. We lived apart for three months. And this was during the time that we were living apart. And I had him up on a pedestal and I really wanted him to be God to me. And so not only was I telling God I would follow him wherever, but God was also telling me that Austin isn't God. And I had this weekend where I like prayed and felt like I wrestled with God to pull Austin down off of this pedestal, which was a lot of pressure for him. And so whenever things go wrong in a marriage, everyone has to take stock, in my opinion, of what's going on with them. And so God had to deal with me and God had to deal with Austin. And a lot of my work was around him not being my everything and putting God on the throne. And also realizing that I needed women in my life, girlfriends, who could fill in some of those gaps because no one person can be everything to us. That's good. That's good. This wrestling that you're going with, I'm like, I, I know the end of the story, but I'm feeling so sad for you in this that moment. Was awful. <laughs> yes, I am. I am feeling sad. Um, and so you and Austin are living apart. Um, before I get, before you get to how God brought you to the work that you're doing today, what that looks like. I want you to finish up that story because you're happily married now. You have two children. Tie the bow on that for us and tell me how that finished out. I would love to. So, you know, we talk a lot about things being redeemed and marriages be redeemed, being redeemed. But what I like to say about our marriage is that it was dead and we were both dead. And I actually believe that God resurrected both of us wow. and resurrected our marriage. And we have new life. And like, he is my best friend He's an amazing man and our marriage is incredible. It doesn't mean we don't go through hard things, but like we love each other. We are each other's biggest fan and there's no person I would rather be doing this life with. And how, but I need to know, like, how did that happen? <laughs> oh goodness. Okay. Um, I mean, I know it was a lot a of lot, work. A but... lot of counseling. Okay. Counseling. Good. A lot of ownership. Both of you taking ownership. Yeah, that's, that's good. A lot of both of us owning what was ours. Mm -hmm. We had really unhealthy patterns of communication. So not only were we working in counseling by ourselves, but we worked together in how to communicate. And then dealing with a lot of our unhealthy patterns that we had in our lives and letting the Holy Spirit come in and do that work to set us free. And then we had really incredible people. We had just started going to a church that just is a church that just loves you so well. And the pastor and his wife would meet with us regularly and like pray over us. And just, um, we had people that surrounded us too. You put the hard work in. Mm -hmm. How long did that take? A couple of years yeah. before I really felt like we were on the other side. And you know what else? In that time where I took him off of the pedestal, I also had to make a commitment of this doesn't feel good and this isn't fun but I'm going to choose to stay in this. That's good. And Austin made the same choice. Did y'all verbally say that to each other? Yes. And we could have chosen to walk away because it was incredibly uncomfortable and it was very hard. And um, so our story is that, you know, we are here on the other side and I know not everyone has that story and a lot of people are willing to work, but both people have to choose that. Yeah. So... Okay. Lots of years, lots of counseling, lots of saying, I'm, I'm going to choose this even though it's hard. Yes. And I think that's and important. It's not just about me feeling good. Like I always had these fairy tale pictures of my husband supposed to make me feel good and it wasn't feeling good. And I'd always also heard from a Christian perspective that love is a choice. 
but we actually had to act that out, Mm. that love is a choice and we're going to choose to love each other and to stay in this and fight for this. And our feelings followed, but it took a long time. That's good. Mm -hmm. You're way too young for this, but Lindsay, you might remember this. The DC talk, love is a verb. We we should go to commercial break with love is a verb. (laughs) (laughs) DC talk. Okay, anyhow. Um, Okay, I, I really enjoy hearing that story from you. And I think that... I think that what you just said also translates to so many different relationships in our life, especially this really important relationship that God gave you and Austin in, in marriage. Um, but I can see that man with parenting hard children or relationships in church or whatever it might look like. And I'm a big believer as well that our feelings are not, they lie to us and they mm-hmm. deceive us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so knowing what is true. So congratulations to you guys. Thank 10 you. years. Thank you. That's a decade. I know we were going to go to Europe, but instead we had a baby. Okay, well, there you go. (laughs) You know, samesies, you know, yeah. Okay, guys, I know you're loving the conversation. I know you are. I know you are. But first, I want to thank our sponsors who make today possible. Today's show is brought to you by stamps.com. No need to interrupt your workday or fight traffic to get to the post office. Can I get an amen with that? Anything you can do at the post office, you can do at stamps.com. Whether you're a small office sending invoices or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. With stamps.com, you can also get five cents off every first class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Don't spend a minute of your holiday season at the post office this year, you guys. I don't plan on doing that and you shouldn't either. We use stamps.com to send out some of our merchandise and it makes sending out merch to you guys so easy. Sign up for stamps.com with my promo code happy hour and get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in happy hour. That's stamps.com, enter happy hour. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. Today's show is brought to you by Rothy's. Here's my question for you guys. Do you want to look stylish and feel comfortable through the holidays? I do for sure. Rothy's is the company making beautiful shoes for women and kids out of plastic water bottles. Yes, you heard me say that right. Out of plastic water bottles. They're the perfect flats for the hustle and bustle of the holiday season. Plus, they're sustainable and my favorite part, machine washable. You guys know I've mentioned how much I like my Rothy's. I have a pair of the Scooter Red Flats, but they have this added little design detail across the toe. They're perfect for holiday season because I can dress them up or I can dress them down. I love that Rothy's is constantly launching new styles, so you're guaranteed to find a pair or three or five that you love. I love them because you know what I can do when they get dirty? Throw them in the washing machine, and that is my favorite thing. Rothy's comes in a range of styles like sneakers, loafers, points, and ever-changing array of colors, prints, and patterns. Perfect for the woman in your life who is always on the go and loves a good balance of fashion and function. Plus, Rothy's always come with free shipping and free returns and exchanges, no risk, no worries, no reason not to try. Check out all the amazing styles available right now at rothys.com slash ivy. That's Rothy's, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash Ivy. That's my last name, I-V-E-Y, to get your new favorite flats in time for the holidays. Comfort, style, and sustainability. 
Those are the shoes that you've been waiting for. Go to rothys.com slash ivy today. Okay, friends, here is the rest of my conversation with sweet Elizabeth Jordan. Um, okay, so while you're walking through this, God is really reviving your marriage. Yes. Um, he's bringing new life with you and Austin yes. into what the covenant that you guys have created and made to each other. How did you move then into, I lost my dream job. My marriage almost fell apart. We're working hard to, I'm going to now work with the homeless population in South Dallas. So in that January, so that was about six months after I had gotten fired, I heard the Lord say, find the poorest people in Dallas and start to pray for them. And the reason I knew it was God's voice is that truly for me, poor people were only overseas. And even though I vaguely knew that there were poor people in Dallas, it was not a reality for me. So I knew it wasn't an original thought. And then the thought of praying for those people was something I would never have thought of either. I would have thought some action. Mm -hmm. And so the Lord, through that still small voice, gave me direction. So I Googled the poorest area of Dallas and I figured out that it was South Dallas and that parts of it were poorer than the Ninth Ward in New Orleans. And that was shocking to me. Because it's, I'm going to guess, 12 miles from where you Less grew up? Less than that. Yeah. I mean, it's down the street mm-hmm. from where I yeah. grew up. I'm just going to do a side note here because yeah. this is so good. The two books that you read both involve people working overseas mm-hmm. with probably vulnerable populations. Mm-hmm. This is also how you know it was God because he, you could have thought like, I'm going to pray for all of the people in Uganda mm-hmm. or the underground church in mm-hmm. China. Mm-hmm. And God's like, hey, Jay, just kidding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to want you to pray for the people who are nine miles from you. Exactly. Yes. And so, he planted those seeds by you losing your job, living in your pajamas and reading books. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and then he spoke. Yes. And I had the space to listen. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I just started praying simple prayers like, God, I pray for the people who live in South Dallas. And I was hoping that it was doing something and then slowly started meeting different people who were working there. And my thought was, wow, there are already so many people doing such good work in South Dallas. I would just like to join a nonprofit already doing good work. So I started meeting with people and then I started applying for jobs. And I applied for two jobs specifically. And I was certain, once again, I have a little arrogance here, that I was going to get one of the two jobs. And I ended up getting neither job. And so it was this moment of, wow, that is not what I expected. But I had said this little prayer to God in between interviewing and finding out I didn't get them. I had told the Lord that if I didn't get either job, I would consider doing something out of the box for him. But once again, I expected to get one of the jobs at least. It's an easy prayer when you don't think you're going to have to do it. There you go. Yeah. So I really didn't think it was going to happen. And then here I am called at my word. And there was this man named Larry James, and he was one of the last people that I had met with. And he worked. He ran a large nonprofit in Dallas called City Square, and they've been fighting poverty in South Dallas for over 20 years. But he was the first person of all the people I met with who actually invited me to come meet the people that they served. So every Thursday, he was going to this random street corner between a bus stop and a homeless shelter, passing out cold water bottles to homeless people. And he invited me to come. And I was completely terrified. And it was so far out of my comfort zone. Would this zone. be the first time you'd actually physically gone? You've been praying and you applied for jobs. Is and this I, the first time you've gone? I've gone for interviews. But I you gone, haven't gone to serve with the people? No. Okay. Yeah. Right. That's true. So I said yes. And I'll never forget driving down there in my black Volkswagen Passat and like talking to myself 
why am I doing this? Turn back now. It's never too late. (laughs) And I get there and I park and I see him across the street and I walk over there and it's this old rundown house that's boarded up in this big oak tree. And he's just talking to people and passing out water bottles and there's this bus stop. And so people are getting off of the bus stop, walking towards us. And it's this moment of, I'm so out of my element. And I talked to a couple people that day. I probably stuck out like a sore thumb. And then they're heading on to the shelter after they visit with us for a little bit. So even though I'm afraid and out of my comfort zone, at the same time that day, something in me came alive. And as I was reflecting on it, especially as I kept going back to the streets, when I was in high school, I had gone to Peru and we had lived in this tiny village off of a tributary to the Amazon where the Amazon jungle and the Amazon river were 20 feet on either side. And we would play soccer in the dirt with these orphan boys and sleep under mosquito nets at night. And there was no makeup and no mirrors. And I felt so much like myself there. And what I was coming to understand is I feel most like myself sitting in the dirt. Hmm. And it was this place of, there had been so much emphasis where I grew up on what you looked like and how you dressed and how much money you had and all of these outward things. And the streets was this place where I didn't have to come with anything but myself. I could just be me. And I started to be loved just for who I am. And in that way, God healed me through my friends on the streets. Wow. You continued to show up with Larry? With Larry every Thursday. I didn't stop coming. I never missed a Thursday from then on out. Do you have a job? I'm freelance writing and editing at the same time to help make ends meet. And, um, and, And so I had this early experience that was really impactful for me. There was this woman named Jan who I had met a couple of times. And this one week she opened up to me and she shared with me that both her husband and her child had died in the same year and that that had started the path to her homelessness. And this is actually a story that would be repeated as I continued this work, which is that a lot of long-term homeless people have lost really significant family members. And that so many people's stories, when you really do hear the beginning of their story, it really does start with death or divorce or some Mm -hmm. catastrophic loss Mm -hmm. of family. And so she was educating me that like she had lost a lot and she was in this place. And she also shared with me, so we're sitting at that old house and Caddy Corner is another old home. And there was a boyfriend across the street, her boyfriend, who was staring at her. And she was telling me in hushed whispers that he was really controlling Mm. and abusive to her. And she told me that her feet really hurt and that she really wished he would rub her feet, but he would never rub her feet. So I had this really wild thought of rubbing her feet. And I ran over to Larry and I said, hey, is it weird if I rub her feet? And he said, no, go for it. And so she took off or I said, hey, Jan, this is kind of strange, but is it okay if I rub your feet? And she said, yes. And so she took off her shoes and I rubbed her feet. (laughs) And um, for me, this was a moment of, before I started this work, I had read, reread Matthew 25. And it's where Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. And there's some others. And I felt like Jesus was inviting me saying like, I am these people and 
I think he's inviting all of us, saying, I am in the hungry and thirsty and naked and in prison. And so for me, it was this moment of my head going, my faith going from head knowledge to experience because rubbing this woman's feet was this place of like, this is Jesus. Like this is as close to Jesus as I've ever felt. I've never in a church been this close to Jesus. And so the Lord was making my faith real to me. Through rubbing Jan's feet. Through rubbing Jan's feet. I imagine Jan's feet were not. They weren't the best. Cleanly Mm -hmm. manicured, pedicure. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Mm Um, so you keep continue to go, you continue to meet, you continue. One of the things we talked about at the beginning was kind of this division between um, maybe affluent and homeless. And you said, when we lay down what we think about them, mm-hmm. what did that look like for you walking in? Because I, I mean, I know you're showing up and God's growing your faith and you're doing all these things. And you said you stuck out like a sore thumb and you were uncomfortable. And I, I'm fully aware that that probably, you know, went away a little bit over time, but how did you deal with walking in and having preconceived ideas? Yeah. You, it sounds like you're almost like I'm following God, but I don't know what's happening here. Totally. How did you wrestle with that in your own spirit of letting things die that you thought and owning, Hey, I'm just walking in here. I know it seems weird. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's a really uncomfortable space. Like, you know, people are outside, people are sleeping outside. The shelter lets people out at six or 7 a.m. So there's just a lot of waiting in the dirt. You know, there is some drug dealing that's happening down there. So it's just this very strange new space that I've never been in. So some of my stereotypes and preconceived ideas were forced to kind of go to the side because I just had to be aware and present of where I was. But then also I would come in. Okay, one of the stereotypes I had is that if homeless people had Jesus, they wouldn't be homeless anymore. Oh, wow. Okay. So I had a stereotype of like, they need to be saved. Uh And that was a narrative I had heard. And so one of my earliest educations was the depth of faith of the people that God had called me to, and actually that they were the ones teaching me. And there's this uh, song that says, God was long beforehand with my soul. And it was just this moment of, I remember walking on the streets one day and just picturing God already there and knowing he was already there. And he was inviting me to join him in the work that he had already done. And at the same time, I was meeting and talking to people every day who were genuinely grateful that God had woken them up that morning. And everything that came to them, whether it was food or water or clothes, their hearts were full of gratefulness and they saw it as coming from God's hand. And that was schooling me. I never had that idea about life or the gifts that God had given me. And so really my homeless friends were deepening my faith and showing me what dependence on God really looked like. That's amazing. And I think that that hap- that always happens when we're in the places that God is moving, mm-hmm. is that it changes us. Mm-hmm. Um, when What led you to start the human impact? Like, where did that come in where you're continuing to work with Larry and then you told God, hey, listen, I'll do something out of the box mm-hmm. if I don't get these jobs mm-hmm. and you didn't get them, mm-hmm. which I love. I Just to point out, I don't know if you've <laughs> noticed this, God has, I think, been working on you and your identity as well. Mm. Like, who are you, mm-hmm. Elizabeth? You mm-hmm. are not like bad A business girl. You are not <laughs> this. You are not this. You are not this. You are my child. Mm-hmm. And I just love mm-hmm. hearing your story and mm-hmm. seeing how God has kind of had to do all these crazy measures to get in and show you, here's who you are. Thank you. I, that's amazing. Yeah. Here's who you are that. and here's what you're doing. Yeah. Awesome. So where did the human impact come from? So as I was, so not only was I 
breaking down those stereotypes, but I was just really listening. So I, I stopped talking once I got out there and just started listening. And I listened and I listened and I listened and I observed. And so I observed the way that people were caring for the homeless. So there were a lot of programs, there were a lot of shelters, there were a lot of services. But what I realized is that homeless people don't have a lot of friends. They don't have a lot of people who are just in it with them. And so I felt like a gap in the homeless care system was just simply friendship. Mm -hmm. And so our mission at the Human Impact was born out of that gap, which is to say that when you've been homeless a long time and you've lost everything, navigating the system to leave homelessness is very overwhelming. And imagine doing that all by yourself. And so what we do is we link arms with people and we don't run ahead of them, but when they're ready, we walk with them. Mm. And so we help connect them to the resources that can help them. And then when the homeless care system can't help them, we innovate and we leverage our own network and our own people on their behalf. And so once again, like one of the things I felt growing up was that I had too much. And one of the things I had too much of was opportunity. And now I see I did have too much, but that's because God meant me to share it. Mm. And so not only do we get to share resources and raise funds on people's behalf, but we also get to share opportunities with people and connect people to those that they would never have contact with to get jobs. When you say opportunities, do you mean jobs and counseling and places to live? So all the practical things that there may not be a clear path for them right now, but we get to reach out to our network and say, who wants to help in this way? So like our friend named Willie, he got a job from a couple who they were building a new house and they hired him to be their porter and he got a good recommendation from them. And then another one of our friends who works with a real estate development firm, they ended up hiring him for a full-time job and providing a place for him to live. And so it's just people who are saying, I want to do good in my field because God's called us all to different places and there's not a better place to be called. You know, like ministry isn't more holy than business. Right, right. And so God has called us to our different spheres But people who are saying, I want to use this sphere to do good, to help someone who wouldn't have this opportunity. I love this so much. Can I point out one more thing also that I just noticed? (laughs) Is you mentioned to me earlier that when you were walking through all of this with Austin, one of the things God showed you is that you needed girlfriends in your life. Like you needed friends because you couldn't do this alone. And then you just told me Mm -hmm. that you saw a gap in relationships and friendships with your homeless population. Whoa. I'm telling you, God That's is amazing. God is just like, <laughs> let me just show you all the things you need. And then I'm going to have you help them with That's that. Amazing. Yeah. So how long has the human impact been around? So I've been doing the work for six years. We have officially been a nonprofit four years, but operating as our own, like on our own, a little more than three years. Okay. So what does your day-to-day life look like with managing the human impact? So we have an incredible staff now. There are four other people besides me one woman who's been with me for more than two years. And what I love about each person who works with me now is they all love Jesus with all their hearts and they feel called to this work. And it can be a really hard work because there are a lot of sad stories and there can be a lot of heavy stuff. Uh, But all the people that I work with, they're called. And so they have what it takes to stick with people for the long term. Mm. And I'm just so proud to be with this group of people. And then... I think we're starting to get to do some really neat things like get people jobs and places to live. And we have a partnership with a nonprofit called Bonton Farms in Dallas. They're an urban farm in a community called Bonton, which is also in South Dallas. 
And we've been working for two years to open the first of two homes with them. So we actually came to Austin two years ago and we went to this place called Community First Village. And they have a tiny home community for people who are homeless. But the catch is that 80% of the people who live there are formerly long-term or chronically homeless people. And 20% are people who have discerned a call to live missionally alongside the homeless. And we felt like when we went to visit them that they... Like, let me just clarify, because people are going to miss what you just said. Okay. The 20% are people who they can own a home in Austin, Texas, and they have jobs and they have families and they have called to live alongside them. I want to make sure, I know that. So I want to make sure everyone got that. Good. Yes. Perfect. It's important because it's amazing. So imp- it's yeah. amazing. So half of our mission statement is that we bridge the relational gap to change lives. And I've talked about this, but we believe that we really and truly need each other. And so, and that our lives are enriched when we come together. And so, um, just like we see at Community First Village, people are living in community and they're learning from each other. And they're saying that we need each other really practically. So we, when we went there, we thought, this is already who we are, just expressed through a community. And we were hitting walls with our people where the homeless were getting stabilized to a certain point, but we had no good stability option to offer them, whether it were housing. So they get a certain point and then there's... And so we had people have these setbacks. It was tragic because it was like, if we had something like Community First or like what we're doing with Bonton Farms now, they wouldn't have fallen back because they needed that step when they were ready for it and we weren't ready to give it to them. So it's been two years in the works and it's this really innovative concept. It's a home in the front. It's a two-person, two-room, one-bathroom home and a family lives there and it's two efficiency apartments attached on the back. And so we're working with them. They work in the Bonton community. So it's residents from Bonton and our people. And they work at the farm too. So they work at the farm during the day. We have teams that surround people as they stabilize. We coach them and mentor them as they stabilize. And then our friend Jeanette from the streets, she just moved into one of the efficiency apartments in these homes. And they just got three pallet homes. And What's our, a pallet home? Well, I don't know how to define it, except for it's just like a box. It's really tiny. And so they have access to a, a bathroom in like a larger RV okay. kind of thing. Okay. But it's really just a safe place to sleep at night, mm-hmm. which maybe for some people wouldn't be a gift. But for my friend Matthew, who was under a bridge one night and ready to leave the streets and had all the mental health stuff he had taken care of, he had done all this work to get ready, but he had no place to go. And so we offered him this first pallet home and he said yes. And he loves animals because he grew up on a farm. So he gets to like pet the goats during the day and sleep in the pallet home at night. And his joy is just Mm -hmm. off the charts. Like to see his face, um, you know, living there. And it's just incredible. So we're getting to move people into this community and work with them more. And then the same group, a real estate development firm that I talked about, they moved Willie into an apartment, but they've since helped one, two, three more people move into apartments. And I think they want to keep doing more with us. So I really feel like we have more than one pipeline for people. People that maybe need more support can be in the Bonton community, but people who maybe don't have as many things they're fighting are able to move into an apartment. Yeah, And no matter what, we stick with people. So you can't get rid of us. (laughs) We're going to be your friend, whether you like it or not. Yeah. This reminds me of the interview that I just, do you know Tess Clark? 
She's in the Dallas area. You guys should meet 100%. You guys should hook up. I'm going to make this happen. You're going to become friends. <laughs> um, but she does a lot with the refugee community. Okay. In um, Dallas area. And she said like almost the same things as like, listen, we're here. Like you can't get rid of us. Mm-hmm. We're here. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I'm seeing here as well is that you've created this organization. You you prayed this prayer. Like, God, I'll do something out of the box. And he's like, okay, that's awesome, Elizabeth. I would go for that. Um, <laughs> one of the things I also want to go back to is we kind of mentioned this a little bit of just these two different narratives. And you came from a very successful career that you lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had to deal with that. You've talked to us about that. How do you see this kind of narrative of what people say success is and mm-hmm. isn't mm-hmm. now in the work that you're doing with your homeless community mm-hmm. friends. I really loved accomplishment and I'm very type A. And so God gave me the most unusual group of people because from an outward success perspective, they didn't get become long-term homeless overnight. And so leaving long-term homelessness is always a journey. And I had this one friend named Greg and we met about a year into the work. And when I met him, he was in line to get some food. And um, and he said immediately to me, where are you from? And I was like, Greg, I'm not going to tell you that. Because I knew by then that if I said I'm from Highland Park, I'm about to get stereotyped. So I didn't tell him. And then he looks at me and he goes, you from Highland Park. And I was like, what? I thought I was doing a better job blending in by now. How is it that obvious? How did you know? And we ended up sitting on the curb and he told me his story of addiction and um, his struggles. And his dad had passed away when he was 16, tragically. And so he was really opening up and sharing his heart with me. And at the end, he looked at me and he said, we have the same heart to me. And it was also this moment for me of I'd always heard it mattered what was on the inside, not what was on the outside. But Greg was saying to me in this moment, like, I see what's on the inside and that's what matters. And the Lord was saying to me, I see what's on the inside and that's what matters. And so Greg was this really um, important relationship for me because he and I became truly good friends right off the bat. And he ended up leaving the streets and getting a job. And he's just this charismatic man, like to know him is to love him. He's just a really incredible human being. And um, he was my one success story. And I was like waving the Greg flag, like, look, my work works. Um, And then a year later, I was actually asked to speak at my high school youth group. And I had asked Greg to come speak with me. And it's 30 minutes before Mm -hmm. speaking. It's 20 minutes, it's 10 minutes. And he didn't show up. And so I went on and spoke without him. And the next week I was out on the streets and I saw him back out. And I mean, first of all, it was totally heartbreaking because I loved him so much. Um, Oh, it still makes me cry. Um, But also it was this moment of like, God, are you sure? Like, am I really doing the work you've asked me to do? Like, am I, did I hear you right? Because this one person who looked like, you know, we were getting results. Um, He's back out here. And are you sure? And this is probably the most important thing I ever heard God say is, I've, I've called you to be faithful. I want you to love the one person I put in front of you today. And he meant love the one person, whether you know them for 10 minutes or an hour, or whether I give them to you for the next 10 years of your life. And so I had to shift my mentality 
from what are my results to loving the one person God puts in front of me today. Which is someone who's type A success driven that has difficult. The opposite of It's the opposite. And God was stripping that from you to say, this is what the work is. Yeah. The work is loving the one person right in front of you. Yeah. You've used the term several times, long-term homelessness. Can you explain what that means? Great question. I love that. (laughs) Because I think we misunderstand homelessness. And I think some of our stereotypes are probably, there's some truth to them, but some of them are really off. And I, I only know the numbers in Dallas, so I'm going to talk about Dallas. So Dallas, every year they count how many homeless people are in every city across the United States. HUD, the Housing of Urban Development, has people do that. And in Dallas this year, there are 4,500. 500 of them are classified as long-term, but really the technical term is chronically homeless. And that means that you've been homeless longer than one year, or you've had four bouts of homelessness in three years, and you have a disabling condition. And disabling condition can be a physical disability, but it can also be depression or anxiety. So when we're thinking of homelessness, when you think of temporarily homeless people, which that's 4,000 of 4,500 people in Dallas, this is a group of people, they've been homeless less than a year. They probably had one or two things go wrong and they really can get back on their feet. Their feet? Yeah, well, just one <laughs> foot at a time, but you know, get back on their feet. <laughs> they really can get back on their feet more easily. Um, But really in Dallas, we don't have good channels to get them back out. And so when someone becomes long-term homeless, it's a lot harder to get back on your feet because there's a culture downpull that happens and people can sink lower and lower into depression and hopelessness. And so, um, but the long-term homeless are who we're focused on because they're the people that, you know, they have many complicating issues that both cause their homelessness and have kept them homeless. So we're really focused on this group of people. So as I'm hearing you speak about um, the varying different things about homelessness, and I think that it's true, we all have to come to terms with our biases that we have, no matter where they've come from. Some There might be some validity to some of them. But as someone who's listening, and they're driving in their town, and um, we have a, a big homeless population here in Austin. I by no means know the number, by any means, but I know that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, someone's living their life, they're living in their mm-hmm. town, and they see that person on the street corner, mm-hmm. or they now are thinking, I think there's a homeless shelter in my community. Mm-hmm. What, when people come to you and say, Elizabeth, what can I do to help in mm-hmm. my city? What do you say? Well, I tell people to start by, if they get a panhandler approaching them, roll down their window and shake their hand and share names. That That's a really simple way to start. You know, There are some people who are aggressive, and for those people, I say walk away. But in general, I would say look people in the eye and treat them as a fellow human being. And there are some other simple things that I do. So we get really uncomfortable when someone who's homeless, or I do at least, asks me for money because still outside of my neighborhood, people don't know me. So if I get approached by a homeless person where I live, they have no idea who I am. And I still get uncomfortable. But I try to just think like if anyone, not a homeless person, asked me for money, how would I respond? Sure. Let me see what I got. Well, or I might kind of be like, that's kind of strange. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, if you didn't know them. Yes. Okay. So if, if I didn't know, friend. if some random person came and said, yeah. will you give me your money? I'd be like, I kind of need to know more about you. Uh-huh, yeah. And so I say, think sometimes if we can try to remove them from this category of homeless people and put them in the category of people, how would I respond to just the average person? Um, I think that can help us in how we think about and respond to the homeless my church just moved downtown like 
literally our building moved downtown and we're a block from the largest homeless shelter in Dallas. And a couple of times before we've had church, my family and I have walked across the street just to get to know people across the street. And I'm still nervous, like, because they're not my people yet. But we'll walk across the street and we'll just shake hands. The first time I went, I heard someone say, she's not afraid of us. And so it's just this moment of trying not, not not having fear because, you know, the Bible talks a lot about do not be afraid, but I don't, I really don't think God is saying don't have fear because I think fear is actually a healthy human emotion. Um, but I think God is saying by the power of the Holy Spirit, fear doesn't have to run your life anymore. You can kick fear out of the driver's seat. So when I first went to the streets, I had fear, but fear wasn't driving my car anymore it was kicked out of the driver's seat. And so when I walk across the street to meet people, I still have fear. But I think we so often think, if I have fear, I shouldn't do that. But so we still walk across the street and we have conversations and we shake hands and we sit on the curb next to people. And once again, I'm reminded homeless people are just people. But I, even myself, after six years of doing this work, have to be reminded of that when I go encounter a new group of people. And I have this dream and imagination of what if more people just started to talk to homeless people as people, like how would that change them? How would that change us? How would that change our communities? Because whatever you expect of people is often what you get back. So with your kids, right? With my children, if I expect kindness from them and I walk in and expecting that, like my son often gives that back to me. But if we go in and think you're less than human or you're not worthy or whatever, people really do rise to the level of what we expect of them. So if we can change our thinking and approach people as people, I think what we get back might be different. It's looking at them as humans yes. and not a homeless population. Yes. Yeah. I know for me sometimes, um, often, um, when there's someone um, that's, you know, on the street asking for money, which is common in downtown Austin, uh, I have had moments where I've just been like, I don't have time, like just ignore. But in the moments when I have, and who has cash these days? Right. I'm like, what we need is you need a, a swiper is what we need yes. right now. Like who has cash? Yes. Nobody does. I never have cash. And so in the times where I have rolled down my window and said, dude, I'm so sorry. I have no money. I mm-hmm. hope you have a great day, blah, blah, blah. It has been such a more pleasant, mm-hmm. even feeling in my car when we're sitting there. Mm-hmm. It's been good for my kids to see. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's true of just when we can s- see that as a person, mm-hmm. And not just be like, don't look, don't make eye contact, don't make eye right. contact. Right. Things change in us. But I also think one of the reasons, at least I still at times don't want to make eye contact is I'm afraid what they're going to ask me. And I'm afraid of having to enter that awkward space of like, I can't give you that or whatever. Yeah. And that's hard. That's a hard space. So I think also acknowledging like it's uncomfortable to be asked for something, not in the context of relationship, mm-hmm. which is why I think it's so important that not only are we treating people as human human beings, but that our service to people and our love of people comes in the form of relationships yeah. and not just transactions. You may give you an example I just thought of, like if we were to see people as humans. The other day I was driving through a neighborhood out here and there were some girls having a lemonade stand. Mm-hmm. How cute is that, mm-hmm. right? Like they've got the lemonade jugs, they're selling it. It's like 50 cents a cup. I don't even have two quarters in my car. Mm-hmm. Like I have zero cash. Mm-hmm. But you know what I didn't do? Is I didn't just like drive by them and don't make eye contact. I wanted to cheer them on. Like that's just my personality with these young girls. I'm like, I'm telling my son who's with me, look how amazing these girls are. They're taking initiative. They're out here making money. Look, I'm so proud of them. I'm like cheering them on. So I stop and I'm like, hey, 
I don't have any money, but I just want to say way to go. Good job. And their moms are there and they're like, here, let's give you some lemonade for free. I'm like, no, I don't want your lemonade. They made me take it. Whatever. My son was thoroughly embarrassed as well. He's like, mom, you should just drive it on. I'm like, no, I want to cheer them on. But I just had that thought of that experience of driving mm-hmm. through the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was nothing for me to stop and say something to those young mm-hmm. girls. Like mm-hmm. I was like, look at them. Way to mm-hmm. go. And what if I had that same mentality every time I was approached at a stoplight in exactly. downtown Austin of just being like, hey, how are you? Yeah. You know, I think also we're scared to, this just hit me, that we're scared to be like, how are you? Because we think their life sucks. Yes. yes. Is that, am I right on that? Oh, yeah. That just hit me. Yeah. Because we think if I say, how are you? Well, it, you can't be good. And and I don't have space for your bad right now. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, and this is kind of, I think, when we open ourselves up for someone to share, even if they're in a hard spot, we actually are the ones that end up gaining. Think about when a friend shares with you and is vulnerable with you and shares what's going on in their life, that actually becomes a really special space. Yeah. And so I think that's another thing is that if we will open ourselves up, even in a moment and let someone maybe say like, it's a hard day for me, you can offer to pray for them. Mm. Like there's a lot that can happen in that space and it really can become a holy space. That's so good. Well, Elizabeth, you have, you have challenged us. You have encouraged us. It is, I'm super happy to know you and I'm just proud of what God did in your life through some really hard circumstances and brought you to creating this organization that wants to really develop relationships with people and see people as people the mm-hmm. way that God sees them. Mm-hmm. I'm um, so happy to know you. Oh, this is and so Lindsay. Fun. Yay. <laughs> okay. So people might be wondering also, hey, how do I help? Or I live in Dallas. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of listeners in Dallas mm-hmm. uh, and Dallas area, surrounding area. So all you Frisco, <laughs> Prosper, you know, all you people and Fort Worth. We love you too, Fort Worth. But Two things. One, how can people get involved with what you're doing if they don't live in Dallas? Mm-hmm. And two, how can they get involved if they do live in Dallas? If they don't live in Dallas, you'll take their money. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why the heck not? Yeah. Uh, if they don't live in Dallas, we have a website. And so one of the things that we do is we share stories to humanize the homeless. So people can follow us on Instagram or go to our website and read our stories. You can subscribe to our blog. We have these things called Meet the Need. So when someone has needs or moves into an apartment, we don't just by ourselves meet all their needs. We invite our greater community to be a part of meeting their need. So there are a lot of ways ways to be involved not living in the city. If you live in the city, there are so many opportunities to come and volunteer with us. So we have a volunteer time on Thursdays over lunch. We have monthly events on Saturdays. One of them is called Streetside Salon. It's a pop-up barbershop. Wait, outside. street side salon. I love it. Isn't it amazing? Uh-huh. We do street art with um, my friend and she's an artist and art therapist. Her name is Rachel Nash. So there are all these ways, creative ways to come be a part of what we're doing. And one of the things I love is- Quick time out real quick. The yes. street side salon. Yes. Is it like you just pop it up or is it a building? No, no, no. It's outside. It's outside. We run generators. We have stylists and barbers come and we pop up a tent and people sit in chairs. And this is my favorite thing. It's incredible. That's amazing. It's so great. I saw it in Austin the other day. It's not there anymore. It was, if you're going south on 35 and you want to exit over to the east side right before Cesar Chavez, like most of you listening are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Whatever. There was this kind of trailer, like almost a tiny home and mm-hmm. it was a barbershop and it's not there anymore. But I thought that would be cool too, mm-hmm. to take that around. Mm-hmm. Okay, keep going. This is fun. Oh, those are ways that, out, oh, inside the city can get involved too. What was your other question? If, if you don't live there, follow your stuff. Yes. Send you some money. <laughs> uh, but inside the city, you can, can you take volunteers? Yeah, we okay. would love yeah. anyone to be involved. Yeah. I mean, real estate development community, we're looking for more partners um, in that arena. And 
we're doing more housing. So if people want to get involved that way. So great. Mm -hmm. Well, I -hmm. hope that just by listening today that here's what's going to happen is I'll just let you know, people are going to listen to this and they're going to think differently the next time they're at a stoplight. And there's a person there that is asking for money or a part of the population that is different than them. And so you have done some good work today by just changing people's, just their ideas and the way that they see people. So that's awesome. Thank you for Thank coming. Thank you so much. This is Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. And wonderful. Okay, this has nothing to do with um, your work, but we do ask everybody what they're loving and what they're reading. So Perfect. what are you loving these days? I am loving Taylor Swift's new album. So is Lindsay. Wait, what's the first song called? Okay, I forgot that you existed. This is a classic breakup song. I am kind of jealous for all you people who might be going through a breakup that you have this song to listen to now. <laughs> that is something I'm loving. I I forgot you existed. I forgot That's you existed. Like, mic drop. I know. I don't even remember it's, you. It's over. It's done. It's done. Who's she singing about? Uh, Probably her. Colin. Colin who? Lindsay knows. I don't know. Oh boy. Okay. Yeah. Also, but side fill note. in the blank, right? Whoever yeah, you're. Side note. How, <laughs> like, if you're going to date Taylor Swift and you better be ready because she's going to take you out. She's going to take up. you out. Yeah. You be careful. You're going to be, be written careful. about. Be careful. Mm-hmm. Which side Sing note? About. I saw Miley Cyrus just has a new song out about her breakup from her husband. Whoa. Already? I know. That's quick, Miley. I, know. I think they've, slow, been, slow they've only been married for like nine months. No, but I, I think know. it's been a hard eight months. Well, dear. Yeah. So wow. there we go. That was quick. Yeah, if, don't date a, a musician if you don't want to. They're write about yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big takeaway from the show today. There you go. <laughs> there you go, all you young ones. Uh, something else I'm loving are my kiddos. So I had a miscarriage between my kids and my little baby, Sarah, we prayed for her for a year. It took a, you know, a while to get pregnant after losing that baby. And so didn't know that I was going to get to have her. And she and our son, John, they're just, such joys for us. And something else I'm loving, and it maybe sounds cheesy, but really my marriage, because what I love about us and our marriage is we continue to do the hard work. So like when things come up, we still will address them and talk about them. And uh, we just get to run together and do the hard work together and celebrate each other. And it's just really sweet to have him to walk this life with. And you're never going to sing that Taylor Swift song to him. Never. Never, Austin. Austin. <laughs> She's never going to forget you. What are you reading? Are you a reader? I love to read. I love to read. In the first year of a child's life, I read a lot less. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So my margin goes way down. But right now, I'm, I've am i just started a book called The Last Castle, which is about the Biltmore estate, I think. And Have you been the Biltmore? Yes, okay. because I went to Wake Forest. Oh, yeah. Hello. So it's close. Yeah. And I'm also reading a friend's novel. Oh, that's not not the name of it. No. Okay. So a friend of yours is writing a novel. Yes. Got it. Does it have a name? No, I don't know if I'm allowed to share. 
Oh, I this would be good if you I didn't. Could. Well, I didn't get it cleared beforehand. Don't do it then because we'll have to come back I and know, take and it, cut out. it out. <laughs> but um, they're some of our best friends and the husband has written a novel and... It's done? It's complete? Yes. Is it like with a publishing house or is he, or is he pitching no. it or what? No, not yet. Okay. Almost though. Congratulations, so. friend, novel. Uh-huh. And maybe we can add you in sometime. I know, that's right. <laughs> so you like it? It's awesome. Okay, good. He's really gifted. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, Elizabeth, I'm so thankful that you came. Me too. To my tiny house and interviewed. I love your tiny house. Yes. yes. (laughs) Um, And and, in all seriousness, thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, I I love the way you set it up as everybody has work to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And no matter if you're in the for-profit or the non-profit or you're running a real estate firm or you're building tiny houses in a, you know, homeless population, it, everyone has a part that they can play. Mm -hmm. And so thank you for just opening our eyes to see something that maybe we have missed in just the Mm day-to-day life. So thank you. Thanks for letting me share. Friends, don't forget, if you want to make a difference in a child's life this year through Compassion International, don't forget to text happy hour, all one word to 83393. That's 83393. Text the word happy hour, no spaces, or visit compassion.com slash happy hour for more information on child sponsorship. I can personally attest to the work that Compassion is doing. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've held the children in my own arms, and I've sat with the moms who they are supporting. This is an incredible opportunity that we have as a happy hour community to bring the presence of God to others. Visit compassion.com slash happy hour or text happy hour to 83393. You guys, we are going to have all of the information in our show notes, which you can find at jamieivy.com to learn more about the human impact and Elizabeth. After Elizabeth left the studio, Lindsay was in here with me and we both sat in awe about how God moves in the lives of everyday people, everyday people, how he uses people with visible brokenness to be a beacon of light to the ones who visibly seem unbroken. What a beautiful story that he is writing in the lives of many, many men and women in the Dallas area. I am so honored to bring you Elizabeth's story and share it with you all. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. Today's show is edited by Chris with Podshaper, and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Aki Slockers, and the whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. Next week, my guest is my friend Becky Kaiser. You may know a Becky's ministry she created about four years ago called Sacred Holidays. She offers Bible studies during Advent and Lent, as well as additional resources all throughout the year. She wants to help build a community and connection with people in everyday life. Less chaos and more Jesus in the holidays and every day. Let me tell you, we all need this in our lives, and especially right now in December. You will enjoy our conversation, and the timing is so wonderful and perfect and just spectacular for the season that we're in right now. Guys, enjoy your week. Share this show with a girlfriend. Have a happy hour with a friend. And I will see you guys back here with my friend, Becky Kaiser. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 